0: enfolding every race, nation, and language. Then you're considering Catholicism. Of all of the things that Protestants, or non-Catholics in general, misunderstand about Catholicism, I I could list on one hand the things that seem so weird to them that they really sort of recoil from them. Many folks become attracted to some element or elements of Catholicism, but as they consider it and draw closer, these four or five items can become something like deal killers in the conversion process, unless you can do a good job of explaining them and overcoming your Protestant friend's misconceptions and fears. A few months ago, I got a Facebook direct message from a former Protestant colleague, a church leader that I've known for decades. Now, he had been at a conference for leaders in his denomination, and in one of the sessions, they did this apparently big group exercise in social justice, confession, and reconciliation. Everyone was supposed to say or sign some sort of agreement expressing their collective guilt and historic systemic racism or something. So that they could then somehow be reconciled, supposedly, with the collective souls or consciousness or whatever of all of the people that their ancestors had oppressed centuries ago. It was all sort of fuzzy to him. So, anyway, he writes me this Facebook message and says, hey, you're a Catholic now, so explain this to me. And I replied, why do you think I can explain what you guys did at that conference? And he comes back with, well... Isn't confession and reconciliation a sacrament in your church? Is this what your priests do all the time, get groups together to be reconciled? Do your priests ever just sit down two people and mediate between them so that they confess to and reconcile with each other? That's what confession and reconciliation means to Catholics, right? So I explained to them that, no, that's not what the Catholic sacrament of confession and reconciliation is. We had this long exchange of messages and he thanked me in the end for clearing it up and actually said, wow, what you described sounds actually kind of attractive. He's not ready to convert, but now he's at least considering one aspect of Catholicism. My Protestant friend Ed, who you've gotten to know over the last 20 episodes, had some of the same sort of questions. So one day we sat down over tacos to talk about confession, why Catholics go to it, and what it accomplishes in our lives. If any of this is helpful, please share it with your friends who might be interested or use these talking points to explain it to curious non-Catholics in your life. Welcome to Church Chats with Greg and Ed, where Greg and his Protestant friend Ed chat about the church.
1: Okay. So confession. Yes. Uh, Confession. Yes. That's, that's maybe the thing that most of my Protestant friends and me all of my life, that was the big deal. What's the big deal about confession? There's all kinds of jokes about confession and some of them are actually pretty funny. (laughs) Um, But that's, that's the thing that, uh, that was a mystery to all to to, uh, me as a Protestant, as a kid. And, uh, and it's intriguing to me because I, I just have not known much about it. I've never been in a confessional right, right. You know?
0: well, I mean for one thing it's uh, between if you look at the sacraments between sort of Protestant and Catholic, it's the most glaringly obviously different right, right. so Protestants we have you know baptism and and the Lord's Supper or communion, they meet maybe there's different interpretations of them or they're sort of, you know, kind of executed a little bit different, but those are still there. Uh, And there's still a, you know, marriage might not be matrimony, might not be a sacrament in the Protestant church, but there is marriages and Christian marriages. But the one thing that there's no equivalent to, maybe that's a good way to put it, there's like no equivalent in Protestantism confession so it just stands out as this like really different unique thing right
1: well you know as a protestant i've always been um comfortable maybe maybe a little too comfortable with keeping my sins just between me and god that's a that's a cozy little relationship and and it also allows me to um like lie to myself about about what right. it is I'm doing or how bad it is or, you know, right. or whatever. And, and, you know, there's something about just saying it out loud that, and hearing it through another's ears, even if it wasn't a priest. It, it, well, okay, really, maybe I can't really explain this very well, right. you know. So it sounds, it sounds great to me. I mean, I see the benefits. That's, right. I think that's easy to see, but it's scary. Yeah. I, I find it to be a little scary. Yeah. Um, you've talked about to me uh, offline as we've talked about um, how— how you! By the time you got right. got to that point, you were you were eager to do it, and right. I understand your points, your reasons for wanting to do that. It's the feeling of of being clean, you know. But I didn't understand until recently when we began talking all about this stuff um, that the Catholic Church considers the priest God's representative. Right. I, I just didn't with the actual authority to to bind and loose. Right. Like,
0: whoa. Right, no, exactly, and so that—that's within a larger context of how all of the sacraments. Um, so, I'll just say something about that real quick. So, in all of the sacraments, the priest operates in persona Christi, which is just the Latin phrase for in the person of Christ. Right. Right. So, it is not the priest who—he's not baptizing you with the authority of the priest. He is in the person of Christ. Right. Offering you baptism when when the priest perform, uh, consecrates communion uh, right. and serves that he's operating in the person of Christ right when he performs a wedding when he anoints somebody so the, all of the the sacraments and I, I used to get this a lot when I was a Protestant or when I was in the process and trying to figure all this out and hear other Protestants say, well, wait a minute. So you're, you're some guy, you go into some guy and talk to him. Um, and I go, of of course now in the Protestant world, you would go to a Christian counselor and say all that or an accountability group. So their objection that you shouldn't talk to a guy but you guys talk to guys, right. your counselor, your accountability group. But the difference is, it's like, well, what, what authority does he have? And I go, none. Exactly. None in and of himself. Other than that, it's no different than the Protestant going in and talking to Pastor Bob or whatever and sharing with Pastor Bob for counseling. But this is what's different here is that when the priest assumes the sacramental role— um, he is operating in the person of Christ with the authority of the church. And what's important here to remember is that Jesus gives the church. He says, you are Peter and upon this rock above my church. Right. And what you bind in heaven will, or bind on earth will be bound in heaven. <laughs> what you loose on, you know, earth will be loosed in heaven. And in other words, uh, the church has the authority to uh, forgive sins and to, to bind and, That's why, by the way, whenever you see any representations of Peter, like statues or paintings or whatever, he always has the keys. Right. 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 Those are the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So those were given to Peter. And I think that's sort of indisputable from a scriptural standpoint that he gave to Peter and to the church Mm -hmm. the ability to sort of bind and loose then the church, in a sense, that comes from Christ, that, that authority is given apostolically to Peter in the church, and then the priest is operating in that capacity. Right. He is uh, the point person, the visible representative operating in the capacity with the authority that was given to Peter right to bind and loose it is not the priest's authority no priest will tell you that he has the capacity to forgive you or he has the capacity to do anything right. he's simply the representative through which you are speaking with christ right through the authority of peter
1: i had an accountability partner guy right one time and we were out of town at a, at a conference and we were right. sharing a motel room and uh while we were just chatting late at night after the thing we're all in bed in our pajamas and everything and he's he's very not he's very casually flipping channels with the remote right, right. and it was it was he he ran across an R-rated movie right. and it's like it, we we both immediately knew that we should just move past this right? It, right and 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 he just hesitated for a second and then he clicked and we kept moving and i said you know it strikes me that Whatever we do as accountability people, whatever we do when we're together, right. it just doesn't count. It doesn't count because we're, you know, because, hey, we're together and I, you saw me do it, so I'm good. And, it, and that's what, what is different here. Um, uh, the per, you know, I was reading about a, a priest. Someone said, you know, if you keep coming back with the same sin every time, the priest is going to say, go, go away and come back when you're serious. Right. And I thought, whoa, 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 not forgive me? wait, 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 I'm, uh, I'm a, you know, I've always been told that no matter what I did, God would forgive me and and I wouldn't need to worry about offending him. And it brings to mind that quote that, um, that, uh, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he reaps. Right. You know,
0: you know, it's interesting. You bring up the accountability partner thing. So, um, way back uh, a number of years ago, I used to work in, Christian Publishing and Consulting and uh, worked with Rick Warren a little bit mm-hmm. or Rick Warren's organization. I'll never forget Rick Warren, uh, you know, the Purpose Driven Life guy and all that, right. talking about this one time. And he was talking about accountability groups, which was all the rage at that time, right? right. Like you're supposed to have your, you know, Tuesday morning accountability group that meets at Denny's or whatever. And <laughs> I'll never forget Rick saying, you know, uh, if a guy, like he's supposed to guy cheats on his wife, right? Or he cheats on his taxes. He goes, if you, if you'd lie to your wife, why wouldn't right. I lie to my <laughs> accountability group at Denny's? Right. Right. It's like, well, you know, Hey, I, I, you know, I don't have any problem pulling the wool over my wife's eyes and deceiver, right. but those guys at Denny's on Tuesday morning, like, right. you know, like I, I, and that bears my soul. So, right. I mean, the thing is, is that how do you sort of protect yourself? And I just want to clear this away. Like, you know, I, just to, to, to a quick point about this, about that accountability group thing or the counseling, because this was such a big thing in, in the Protestant world, and evangelical world still is to, to this day. There's this notion that I need to go uh, talk to somebody about all this, but, the, but it, it's sort of for a different purpose. It's to either get advice or validation or whatever. When I go to confession, I'm not going to get counseling I don't go in there and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this and this. And then the priest dispenses advice. That's not the point. The point is for me to be able to go before the Lord penitentially to lay down my sin before the Lord and hear that God forgives me um, because the church has the power if I penitentially confess. Right. So there's sort of, you know, it's not that evangelicals don't go unburden themselves or don't go right. spill their guts to their counselor or their accountability partners or whatever. Right. That may be the confession side of it. But what's really important here is to remember that the sacrament, a lot of people call it confession, mm-hmm. but it really is confession and reconciliation. Right. And and a lot of times you'll, those are terms become interchangeable. A lot of people will talk about they call it the sacrament the sacrament of reconciliation. In fact, the church actually officially calls it the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, mm-hmm. because this is the difference. Is when I, I can go to a counselor, I can go to my accountability group, I can go to whatever my AA meeting, and I can I can spill my guts, I can confess. That's what I do. What I can't receive there is absolution. Right. What I can't receive there is they don't have the power to forgive me.
1: Right. Which I didn't realize that was what was going on. I you know um I remember hearing somewhere along the way that um that the priest was saying to somebody, you know, your your sins are forgiven. And I didn't realize he was in on that. Right. To the to the to the to the extent that he was. Yeah. You know, that's that's a um
0: yeah, no, no, this is, this, I think it's an interesting point that really didn't occur to me, but, uh, right, so when I was, uh, you know, a, a Protestant pastor, when I was an evangelical uh, minister or whatever, I, I could stand up and say on Sunday, or I could say to people all the time, you know, hey, God forgives you, but I wasn't, I was making a general observation, Right. right, I would say, hey, based on the gospel and based on Scripture, you know, God forgives you. Jesus forgives you for your sins. I wasn't actually, in any case, that wasn't a verb. It was just an observation. I wasn't able to actually tell you you were forgiven. Right. or pronounce forgiveness or offer you forgiveness. I could just say, hey, in a general way, God forgives everything, so I'm sure he forgives you. But what's different going on here, really the sacrament of reconciliation, is it's exactly that. You're being reconciled with God. And you're being reconciled. And someone say, well, why can't I just go to God on my own and do it, right? But, but on your own, you don't have the power of the, the keys of the kingdom that were given to Peter. And to the church. You know, I can just feel forgiven. I think God ought to forgive me. The pastor can say in a sermon in a general way, everybody here is forgiven, like a right. group thing. But what none no one of them none of them have, or none of those situations do you have, is the capacity to say someone with authority, spiritual authority, right, is able to pronounce declarative to you, to actually absolve you. I mean that's what happens. Right. When you go into the confessional and you, uh, confess your sins and you make a good confession and you commit to, uh, there's the act of confession, which you say these, these are my sins and I'm sorry for them. Right. Right. The priest is able to save you by the power of Christ. I absolve you. Right. Right. Um, I, I, standing as a representative of Christ with the power of the church given through Peter, I pronounce that you are absolved of your sins. And that is, that's what I can't hear from a counselor. I can't hear that from my accountability partners. I can't hear that from, really, anybody. I remember
1: feeling that talking to a Christian counselor. Right. The feeling that, I don't you dare let me off the hook. Right. I'm not here. Feel better. Right. I'm here because this is bothering me, and it's going to bother me until it's settled. And if there's something I need to do, right. then you need to hold my feet to the fire. I, you know, right. I'm, I'm giving you eighty dollars an hour. I, <laughs> I, you know, for that, I, I could be drinking and, right. and forgetting my problems, but I'm not. I'm here, and I want. I, I want to get past this. Right. Um,
0: but in the end, what could that counselor actually? What did that counselor have the capacity to actually say to you? It could give you advice. Right. Right. Um, but that counselor never had the capacity to tell you you were forgiven. The counselor could say, just like in in in, in an AA group, go and find the person that you offended. Right. And that person could say, I forgive you from my, for my part. Mm-hmm. But of course, none of them can forgive your sin. Pronounce you absolved from sin before God. There's only, in all of scripture, the only capacity that, that's ever addressed for that is when people when Jesus says to Peter and through the church, you have the power to bind and loosen the keys to the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the, the unique power of the church.
1: So I found, um, we've talked about Chesterton before, and I had not read much of him until last year or so. And I found his essay, why I am a Catholic, which I thought was a wonderful title. Um, and, and I, I just read this the other day. Um, he said, "Catholicism is the only thing that really prevents a sin from being a secret." Um, and so, this this approach to me seems to be much more sober right. than than the approach I'm used to. Like right. Ed, this is serious. You know, right. um, this is <clears throat> this is your soul we're talking about here. This right. is this is a God. It isn't like he missed that thing that you did and, right. and didn't see, it went over his head, and he wasn't looking that, he wasn't looking, right. and, he, and, he, and you got away with it. Um, y- you know, either you're going to fix this and deal with it or you're not. Um, but it was it, the way I've lived my Christian life, it was pretty easy to do that. It was right. easy to say, Well, you know, uh, hey, I'm really sorry, God. I didn't mean, you know, I know I shouldn't have right. done that. Um, but there wasn't any bite. Right. And
0: it, you know, didn't have any teeth. Well, I mean, right. I mean, you could be sorry and you should be right. And a lot of us, I think generally are. I mean, I was a Protestant. I think that I'm going to come back to this issue, uh, the two halves to this thing. The sacrament actually is in a sense, the sacrament of reconciliation, because uh, confession is what I do. So think of it like baptism. I come forward to the baptismal font, right. but the actual act of regenerating me in baptism is done by the priest or the pastor, or whoever, mm-hmm. right? Uh, by Christ through them, Holy Spirit through them. The same thing with communion, even in the Protestant church. I come forward for communion, but the act of me coming forward isn't what affects a change in me. It is right. the, the through the, the bread and the wine. I'm you know, I'm, you know I, I have community with Christ. I've made one. So the confession part is me being sorrowful and saying it out loud. Right. But that's not the part that's efficacious. Okay. And so right. it's to, to Chesterton's point about being a secret, you know, you can feel bad about this all day long. You can every morning. I, I had things when I was a Protestant for years and years and years. I would just endlessly pray to God. I'm so sorry for this. I'm so sorry for this. I'm so sorry for this. I'm, so sorry, for this. I'm so sorry for this. I'm so sorry for this. Right. Well, I couldn't, when I was in my process of becoming Catholic and wait, finally go and be finally released from that. Right. Uh, from feeling bad and from feeling sorry. And so, right. by going into the confessional for the first time and being able to say these are the things that I'm sorry for, and to hear Christ's representative through the church be able to say to me, "You are absolved. It's over. It's done. Let right. it go." I mean, that's. I mean, that was one of the things. Chesterton had another line about confession. He said, "You know, the thing is, when you go in and you uh, receive absolution in, in confession, reconciled. He said, you walk out like a like a child." I, I was just—I was just um,
1: thinking of that one. Uh, he said, uh, "I—I I, got—I made a note here. Um, when a Catholic comes from confession, he does truly, by definition, step out again into that dawn of his own beginning." Yeah, I love that. I love that line. Yeah, uh, I love that feeling of being clean and uh, yeah,
0: and uh, a clean slate. Yeah, I mean, I've got, because we're talking here, we, we had made some notes for our conversation, but I, I wrote that one down too. And it says that, uh, you know, he says, you know, the uh, Christian says, when you come out of confession, the accumulations of time can no longer terrify. You may be gray and gouty, but you're only five minutes old. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, that's the part that's missing. It's not that I can't feel sorry for my sin. It's that I never get released from it. And that's the reconciliation absolution part of it.
1: This brings up to me, I, this maybe another whole conversation, but I, that my conversion is an ongoing thing and not, my understanding of it always was that, you know, I pray the sinner's prayer, Jesus forgives my sins, and then... Uh, As I've heard you say, my ticket is punched and I just need to, you know, try to do my best and follow, you know, try to become more, pray to become more Christ-like and so forth. And in the Catholic church, they talk about, uh, I'm reading the catechism. You, you know, you suggested some passages and they, and they talked about, you know, grave sins and being, and being disconnected from God. And that's a new thought to me that I am, that I am constantly working out my salvation and I'm I'm constantly being converted. I talked about conversion, and I'm 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 constantly being yeah. converted and washed right. clean. And
0: yeah. right. okay, so so it's real important here <clears throat> for anybody who's listening who, who's a Protestant to to make sure we are really precise with our language here because mm-hmm. this is the thing that Protestants and Catholics have been fighting about for 500 years. It's caused endless amounts of you know arguments in my life. You know, held me back from. Catholicism the, um, and and there are still Protestants I know that we both know that are like, oh my gosh, you can't become Catholic because of blah, 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 blah. Right. So there's all this misunderstanding swirling around this point. I want to make sure our language is super, super clear. Mm-hmm. So all Christians, Catholic, Protestant, everything, and Catholic, I mean, it isn't like Catholics came up with this. They were the original church, right? Right. There is salvation. And what Protestants have charge is that Catholics think they have to keep doing things to get saved. That's not true. Never has been. Never will be. We're saved once and for all. The salvation that we receive is from Jesus Christ's death and resurrection right he dies on a cross in our place right mm-hmm. and rises again to make it possible for us to do that we are united with him in our baptism in our right in communion we are united in the death and resurrection that is salvation and as protestants will say over and over again the gospel is that you know god uh, that jesus takes your place that's true but this word conversion is an interesting word okay because think about what the word means, I'm converting something from one thing to another. Mm -hmm. I am being made from one thing into another. I may be saved, okay, but I haven't been remade. So here's like a really stupid analogy. Like, okay, suppose that you're like into classic cars, right? And you buy this like epic classic car like i used to have the 67 camaro when i was right. younger right and i go out and i go out to the junkyard i find the old 67 camaro and i buy it i pay for it i now own it i have the pink slip on it i got a guy in a trailer who drops it off in my in my garage my right. barn right i now own that but it's not been converted or remade To be all cherry so I can go drive around, you know, to get ice cream on Saturday afternoon, right? right? That is a process of remaking it, you know, tearing out all the old rotten parts, you know, whatever, you know, sanding out all the rust, replacing the parts. That process of converting that, restoring that is a long, complicated process and it takes effort. Now, if we apply it to ourselves, there is actually a Greek word. And when I was a Protestant, when I was in seminary, it was pounded into us over and over. It was a word from Paul uh, uh, metanoia. Metanoia. It's change of mind. It's a conversion of our mind, our heart, mm-hmm. right? Our spirit. So in salvation, uh, Catholics, we, same as Protestants, don't believe there's anything I do to earn my salvation. But I have to work at converting my life I have to work at that metanoia that change of mind sometimes it's called sanctification Mm -hmm. salvation and becoming holy and that is a long hard process right and that is something that we have to work at that is not earning our salvation but it is working out our salvation to become saints so I have a question along that line it occurred to me
1: uh, on my way here. So if I sin yep. and I don't confess it, right. am I not forgiven? And part two, mm-hmm. part two, hang on. And if so, have I lost my salvation? Because then it seems to me like I I could be sort of like flickering in and out of salvation all the time. Like I'd want a priest on speed dial so that if I I, I right. found something in myself, I can get rid of it right away. Because I don't want to, you know, right. that doesn't sound right. doesn't feel right to me, but it seems... But I, I get I get some a sense of that a little bit when I read through the Catechism. Right.
0: Okay. So so let's make a couple of quick, <clears throat> quick quick distinctions here. here. Here's what uh, partly is going on in sin, and and to, to answer your issue, grave sin. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's sometimes called mortal sin uh, is mortal sin because it it is a grave matter. Right. I mean, it's a serious matter. Um. And it is something that you do with full intention. Okay, right. um, you may not, you may hate that you're doing it, but right. you do it. Right. And there is an act of will involved with doing it. Right. You don't commit grave sins accidentally. Right. There is an act of will. You again. You may feel conflicted and tortured. I wish I wouldn't do this terrible thing but I'm going to do it anyway so what it does is it creates a rupture in your relationship with God mm-hmm. it it creates a, a a rupture in your relationship with Christ it, it is, it's it's a, a wedge that drives you further away from God mm-hmm. the same way just think of it with your wife or your children or whatever whoever in your life that you say hey if I lie to them or I beat them or I do something like that I'm, right. I'm, I'm fracturing that communion right Right. And there has to be a restoration of it. if if I, if I live in this thing of re, sort of rebellion in that relationship, fracturing in that relationship. So when it comes to sin, it's not a matter of like keeping score. And, and you know, priests will tell you that, you know, the people who come into the confessional with a score list. Right. You know, I did this and I did this and I did this and this and now I'm not saved anymore. That's not the point. But when we sort of persist in doing things that fracture our communion and our relationship Mm -hmm. with Christ, those are things that have to be worked through in that relationship the same way if anything else. If I am intentionally and willfully doing things that gravely impact my devotion to Christ, Mm -hmm. that's something that needs to be reconciled. And I can't reconcile that with a counselor or an accountability because the person who... The, the relationship I've fractured is my relationship right. with Christ. Right. So who is it that can I can be reconciled with? The only person I can, because the, the, the issue is being reconciled with Jesus. And the only way I can be reconciled with Jesus is to approach someone who, in a sense, speaks in his place or in that moment, mm-hmm. operates in his place and says, yes, on behalf of Christ. You know, I say, look, Lord, I keep, I've done this terrible thing. I've, I've turned away from you. I've turned my back on you. I don't want to do that anymore. And then the priest in persona, Krista, can say, if you've turned your face back towards me, I can say that I'm reconciled with you or you're reconciled with Christ. And so that's what it is. So to your point about, you know, this list of can I lose my, you know, am I going down the, do I have to have the priest on speed dial because right. every day I'm doing something, you know, wrong. You know, that's this obsession, and priest will tell you this obsession with, with uh, ve- what they call venial sin, which is small things. You know, I, I accidentally went five miles over the speed limit today. And, right. Right, and I did this and I did that. And I had all these little things. Those aren't ru- rupturing of your communion with God. But I think we all know and we can all think of our mind of things that we have done right. willfully right. Uh, that, that we're, we're, we're a turning away from God. And those are the things that are the mortal sins that we confess. And I can see that
1: if you regularly come and talk to the priest in the confessional right. and go through the process, that you'll just be always... You'll, you'll be far more aware of it. Yeah. Um, it would be easy, it's just, you know, it just makes the whole thing a little more serious, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, in another, t- another, <clears throat> another conversation we can get into this whole thing that is often misunderstood the difference between mortal and venial sin, but let me just right. put it this way. There are things that we know that we do r- that are wrong, you know? Like, right. yeah, you know, I, 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 I was driving to work and I, I drove too fast. I drove right. over the speed limit. That was probably not a good thing to, right? It was not a good thing to do. But, but it wasn't in a at- willful or intentional turning away from God unless I decided, you know, I'm just going to, you know, drive 120 miles an hour past the school to, you know, uh, whatever, in which case, you know, it'd be a rupture of my charity and concern and all that. But it's not keeping this list of every little thing that I did wrong. Cause I'm going to go through the day and do all kinds of things that are wrong. Right. But the, this is a super important point that we haven't talked about is that when we do confession before we go into confession, actually we should be doing it every day is we do something called an examination of conscience. So, you know, people have different ways to do it. They have a journal. They have a this, that. There's checklists you can look at. I actually, what I do is in my phone and one of my notes uh, section thing in my phone, I have one that's like password protected. Right. And just when I go the day before I go to confession, I kind of think back on however many weeks or right. how long since my last confession, I kind of go through and I think about the things where I think I've kind of willfully turned my face away from God. Right. And I, and I, kind of have a little note list. in there. (laughs) The funny thing is I can kind of copy and paste from the last time, because a lot of times it's the same things that I keep on doing. And it's like, I just, every, you know, and then I, I, I go in and I, and I say those, I don't, I don't go through the whole list of every time I drove over the speed limit, but I come in and I say, Hey, this thing, this thing, I know that I wish I would stop doing this or this, I, I willfully sort of turned away from God in this. Right. And those are the things that the priest wants to hear me um, confess.
1: It occurred to me um, then, I know we got to wrap this up, but it occurred to me that that uh, I, I found this in myself and it made me laugh. I think I might have laughed out loud uh, thinking about this, that this just seems like serious buzzkill.
0: <laughs>
1: and, and I thought, you know, it felt like, oh man, this is, you know, they're just piling on all these rules. You know, I, I right. found that in myself and I thought, I, I think I'm mistaking the freedom right. of a confessed and reconciled life for, for change that hamper my freedom. But right. I, I, the more I thought about it, I thought, well, why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I want to be free right.
0: to be reconciled with God? That seems like the greatest freedom ever. Right. I mean, you know, isn't this the thing that's a, a misunderstood idea of freedom, right? So like modern man... We have a notion that freedom is doing whatever you want, being able to do whatever you want to do, right? Mm -hmm. The ancient Jewish and Christian concept of freedom is freedom is not being shackled and chained to things. And... And the thing is attachments, attachments to sin, attachments to other things are things that sort of shackle you and chain you. And this is why, you know, it's a very ancient idea that if you look at, say, the Ten Commandments, what they really are is in the Ten Ten Commandments don't tie me down. The Ten Commandments keep me from being tied down. I always thought of it, it's like if you're driving along a mountain highway and there are these signs like cliff over here. Right. You know, um, all these like warning signs, you know, don't swerve over here, Here are the guardrails. Right. And if you, if you don't pay attention to like the curve signs and all this kind of stuff, you're going to go off the guardrail. And in a sense, the 10 commandments uh, or, or God's commandments are things that actually give us freedom because freedom is being able to go down the road without driving right. off the cliff or getting stuck in the snow. And so what we're trying to do is avoid those things that that tie us down and that's what sin is it pulls us away from god and freedom is 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 being able to enjoy fully who god made us to be and the life he offers us so yeah i mean the confessional is is a thing that is often misunderstood but um it really is um you know, profound. And like I said, when I, when I was in my process of, of becoming Catholic, it was the, the sacrament I couldn't wait to do because in a sense it was the one thing, I mean, that I've I'd never been able to do in my life up to that point. Mm-hmm. And I always kind of, there's a moment in which I, you, you know, you feel this reluctance cause you have to go in there. Uh, but every, like Chesterton said, I walk out and I go, why didn't right. I do this sooner? I think I, another thing too is I can't speak for other people, but I can speak for myself. That knowing that I'm going to have to confess it often is a way, right? <laughs> it right. puts a check on my behavior, yeah. Because I'm yeah. like, oh, I, I do this thing I know I shouldn't do, but oh my gosh! In a couple of weeks, I'm gonna have to go in and confess it. no, and no, then no, no, that's gonna be just like I don't want to do that, right. like. That's not, not the, the prescript, but it, uh, it's kind of embarrassing and, ash- and I'm sort of ashamed of right. myself and like, I don't want to do that anymore. And that, but that's that process of converting my life. Right. That's that process of conversion, of metanoia, of change of life, of sanctification. What, yeah. What freedom
1: is there other than the freedom to be in a relationship with God? I,
0: yeah. there' there isn't any other freedom I
1: think that has any meaningful definition
0: at all right well look at people we know right look at people in our lives when you look at people who um sort of live I want to do whatever I want to do so often what ends up happening is they end up becoming slaves to something mm-hmm. and becoming slaves to whatever it is you know right mm-mm money, drugs, this, that, whatever. I mean, you pick your thing, right. um, narcissism, whatever. But you know, it strikes me that even counseling or, th- or psychotherapy is, sure. is going in there trying to figure out how my, to, to liberate myself from all the junk and all the right. messes I've made in my life. And how much better is it if I can avoid making those messes and being free to them? But again, that's still a therapeutic model and the confessional isn't therapy. I remember one time, um, I, I hadn't been a Catholic for very long and I went into... Uh, I was actually in another town and I was traveling and so I went into the went into confession because I had it on a Wednesday night. I know what's happened to me in town. And so I, I find this church and I go in and I go on the confessional. I start—I had my little phone notes and I right. started going all this stuff. And I kind of guess I must have gone off on a tangent about things that I was really struggling with. And then the priest, you know, sitting on the other side of the little uh, curtain there uh, says to me... Uh, um, this is now we're getting into like counseling and spiritual direction. <laughs> right. And that's like, I've got like 27 people in a line outside. Right. So can you just get to the, yeah. the things that you want to bring before the Lord and confess? And if right. you want to make a go get counseling, then that's a, a different thing, yeah. you know? And, um, and that's why when we do go the, in the confession confessional, it's, you know, number and con- uh, kind and number, kinder number. I mean, the, the priest doesn't want to hear you necessarily you know, rattle off everything, you know, uh, like a counseling session, but it's, it's, these are the ways that I have turned away from God. Right. Yep. Since my last, since the last time I was absolved, I I was made, I was absolved of my sin. And then since then, these are the ways I've turned my face away from Christ. And I, and I, I want to be reconciled with Jesus. So this is, uh, so by the way, this conversation we're having, uh, it's coming up to Lent here and Ash Wednesday. Right. So uh, this is a great opportunity because that's the season 40 days in which the church uh, uh, celebrates but practices Mm -hmm. penance and confession. And uh, so I'm sure we'll talk more about that. We've got some interesting things planned for for Lent and uh, you and I are going to do a couple things. uh, Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks, Ed. Yeah, you're welcome. Looking
1: forward right. to a bit more. All right, bye.
0: We'll get back to the episode in a few moments. But first, I want to share with you an ancient principle of Catholicism. While we are saved by faith, true faith seeks understanding. Christ imparts to us a holy curiosity. We want to learn and grow and come to know more and more of God's Word, His will, and His works. The Catholic life should be an ongoing journey of discovery. So, if you're enjoying the Considering Catholicism podcast, then join me and other instructors for the next step in this journey by joining the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization. Five years ago, we launched the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization, or LANE as we call it, to foster a culture of faith-filled, lifelong Catholic learning in hearts, homes, and parishes. As the Dean of Lane, I invite you to join me and its other teachers for a wide range of learning experiences for adults, as well as for children and families. Lane offers structured courses in Catholic topics, both online and in person, as well as seminars, audio and video documentaries, and field trips, both real and virtual. There are already dozens of courses in our library, with new programs being offered all the time. To check out the catalog and schedule, and to learn more about how it works, visit lanecatholic.org. That's L A N E Catholic.org, where faith seeks understanding. Thank you for listening. Considering Catholicism is produced by one whirling adventure a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a simple mission to excite and educate people about historic Catholic Christianity and to equip them to live, share, and defend it in the 21st century. We depend completely on your generous donations. Learn more and consider supporting our ministry by visiting onewhirlingadventure.org.